Welcome to the 45th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. We are back with another episode. We did take two weeks off, you know, with college, with two not great fight cards. That was a good time to take a couple weeks off for me personally. So we are going to be back in full force moving forward because we've got some great cards coming up. Last night's card with Vittori and Costa was a great fight, so we're going to make sure to talk about that. After that, we're going to talk a little bit about news, but since we took two weeks off, there's a lot of fight announcements to go through, so I'm not going to go through all those. Um, I'm just going to talk about the Nate Diaz upcoming you know, possible fight booking, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson, and then... We are going to end it off with a preview for UFC 267, and I plan going pretty in-depth on that, so that will probably take up the majority of this episode, so just a heads up on that. So we're going to start it right off at UFC Fight Night, Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa. Now, the one thing, we're going to, we're going to talk about the weight issues in a little bit. I don't want to start off with that. We are going to touch on that. But to start off, we're going to talk about Marvin Vittori's game plan. Marvin Vittori came in with a very good game plan to beat Paulo Costa. He never, I don't think in any rounds, Marvin actually landed the bigger, more powerful strikes, but he won based off his value and pressure that he put on Costa. Those were two things that he did great that I really liked from him. And anytime he had cost up against the fence, he was really going to town with combos. He did a great job working up against the fence. He did a good job working up close. So for Vittori, just this almost uh, Nate Diaz-esque game plan of staying in the face, you know, really just landing boom, 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 one, two, one, two, one, two. Um, you know, nothing crazy he was doing. And he he mixed in some wrestling. Nothing, once again, nothing wild in the grappling department. Uh, we didn't have any long, we had one decently long grappling exchange, but nothing too crazy in the grappling aspects, but that did allow him to mix it up a little bit, but mainly just moving forward, sticking out the jab, following it with the with the straight, was a very good game plan for Marvin Vittori, and he won, in my opinion, four of the five rounds with that game plan, and the second round, in my opinion, was kind of a toss-up. So if you say Vittori won three rounds, um, I wouldn't argue with you. So, And he also showed a great chin here. Paulo Costa landed some massive, massive shots. And I should say chin and toughness. Because Paulo Costa was landing some big shots to the body as well, not just the head. Um, and he landed some pretty big leg kicks, especially early in the fight. I think those kind of dwindled down later. But especially early, Paulo Costa threw some very hard leg kicks. So Vittori's toughness and chin was really on display here. I mean, not many people can eat a head kick like Marvin Vittori ate a head kick. So um, that was another thing we learned from Vittori was just how good his chin is. And we learned it was elite. So that is something to take note of. And Paulo didn't necessarily, didn't necessarily look bad in this fight. This was a tremendous fight. I just don't think he won. Um, he landed the bigger shots. He landed that head kick. He landed some massive body shots on Marvin Vittori. That is one of the things I like most about Paulo Costa is his how willing and how often he just takes rips to the body. 
I mean, when Marvin or when Polakos attacks the body, he does it with bad intentions, and he we saw that with the body kicks, um, some punches to the body as well, not as many as the kicks, and I think the kicks are a little bit more effective in his game personally, but um, either way, the way he attacks the body was tremendous, and. We also learned that Paulo has better cardio than we thought coming in. There were moments where it looked like Paulo was starting to wean down and kind of lessen in the cardio department, especially in the early rounds. But when we got to the late rounds, I mean, Paulo's best round was the fifth round. So he showed some very good cardio in this fight. And I think that is going to help him a lot, a lot moving forward. So... Now we're going to get into the weight cut issue that was kind of a just a kind of a rain cloud on a very good fight because you know this is never something that's good. Obviously, if you don't know, Paulo Costa came in at 211 when he's supposed to weigh in at 186. You know you're not going to make that weight, and he didn't even try. They both they bumped it up to 195 and then eventually all the way up to 205. So not only did Costa come in massively overweight, he also came in um he 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 came in and he didn't try to make said weight, you know. So and he was able to talk the UFC into moving it to 205 so that we could still have a fight because this card would have been in a very bad spot without a Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori fight in the main event. So um, the UFC really didn't have much to work with here. They didn't, they, they were kind of, they were kind, their hands were kind of tied here. And this played a little bit too much into Paulo Costa's favor. Marvin Vittori only got 20% of the purse which is a small amount considering how much other fighters have been penalized for missing weight and missing weight on this type of scale um, probably should have been more than 20%. So for Paulo Costa, this situation really worked out the best it could. For Marvin Vittori in the UFC, not really. But I think this is going to really hurt Paulo Costa moving forward. Um, in terms of his reputation within the UFC, we see guys in the UFC with good reputations, always make weight, are willing to step in on short notice, will fight anybody, do those those sorts of things. And then there are other guys in the UFC with not great reputations when it comes to making weight, being willing to fight, doing those types of things. And I think that's going to really hurt Paulo Costa moving forward, but there's obviously ways to get back in the UFC in the uh, good graces of the UFC. So we will have to see if Paulo Costa does that. And then now we're going to talk about what is next for each of these guys. And we're going to start with Marvin Vittori. Now, actually, just to preface this, neither of these guys have a clear, oh, this is what we're going to do next, in my opinion. There just isn't one thing that sticks out to, oh, oh we have to do that. So we're going to start with Vittori. Vittori, for Vittori, there isn't, you know, there's not too much out there. Looking at this, we could have a situation where 
you know, that was a great performance, but he didn't earn a title shot with that performance, and I don't think anyone is going to dispute that. And we are we can be pretty confident in saying that Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker is going to take place next. However, as we move forward and as we as we move forward without that fight being booked, it does get a little bit more suspicious. Like, hey, what's what's going on here? You know. But right now, we'll, let's just take this discussion um, with the fact that, um, with the assumption that Whitaker and Adesanya are going to fight next. And if that happens, I would really like. Um, if Izzy and Robert Whitaker fight, I think Whitaker would make a good fight for Vittori if Vittori, if Whitaker loses. Um, two guys coming off title losses. Um, obviously, Paulo Costa has rebounded, but I'm um, still lost to the champ. I think that would make sense for Whitaker and Vittori. Uh, the only other thing that sticks out to me is Cannoneer versus Brunson. However, I think the winner of Cannoneer versus Brunson would probably get a title shot. So I don't necessarily, I'm not too confident in that either. But uh, those were really the only two things that stuck out to me. Because when you look at the 185 pound division, you know, you just beat Paulo Costa. You've got Cannoneer, Brunson booked, Whitaker Adesanya booked. You know, Jack Hermanson doesn't make any, any sense. They had that fight. Sean Strickland doesn't make much sense. He's number seven, and his best win is Uriah Hall, so I don't think he gets thrown in there with Marvin Vittori coming off a victory. So there just isn't much that makes sense here for Marvin Vittori at the moment. And um, as we move forward and as we get some more middleweight fights, some things will come up. We'll get some more names. Uh, we'll get some results, and there will eventually be something for Vittori, but right now there's just nothing that sticks out. And then for Paulo Costa, there's really two lanes for Paulo Costa. Um, on one side, excuse me, on one side you have light heavyweight, and on the other side you have middleweight. In my opinion, you got to go light heavyweight, and I think this makes sense outside of even the big weight cut issue that we had coming into this fight. When you take the weight class or weight cut issue into um, your decision making here it just makes it make more sense. So Paulo Costa is already a massive middleweight, and he was he cuts a lot of weight regardless of if he made it this week or not. And I think a move to light heavyweight would really help him. He looked good in that fight, and for Paulo, he's he's now at a point where he's probably got to get two to three wins to get back to a title shot, and. The way that I just kind of talked about these um, 185-pound rankings, you know, there really isn't much. For Paulo, he's probably going to go on a little bit of a slide in the rankings. He's probably going to be sitting around five, and he's going to be coming off a loss. Um, you know, Jack Hermanson is one guy sitting there at 185. Sean Strickland is one guy sitting there at 185. The loser of Cannoneer and Brunson might be might make the most sense for that fight so you know for Paulo Costa he doesn't really have a lot to work with at 185 and even if he makes it back to a title pitcher 
I don't necessarily see, or makes it back into the title picture, excuse me. I don't necessarily see him beating Israel Adesanya based off not only his fight with Adesanya and this fight with Vittori. I don't think either showed that he would be able to beat Adesanya. So I'm not sure that chasing that middleweight belt is going to be the most beneficial for his career. And then moving to light heavyweight, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think if Paulo Costa moves to light heavyweight, he's going to be, he's going to get thrown in there with a top six guy probably. Um, and one thing to know at the light heavyweight division, the ha- the top of the light heavyweight division is a little bit older. You've got Glover Teixeira, who is fighting on Saturday. We'll obviously talk about that later. He's fighting Jan Blahovich. Now, Glover Teixeira, if Glover Teixeira loses on Saturday, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if, he's reti- if he retires. He's already 42, I believe. But I will double check on that. Glover Teixeira is 41. So I'm not necessarily going to be overly shocked if Glover Teixeira calls it a career if he loses on Saturday, and that frees up one spot in that top six. And then from there, you know, Jan Blachowicz is 38. So how many more years does he have at the top of the sport when there are other guys like Yuri Prohoshka and Alexander Rachik who are coming up here and are going to give him some Tough fights in the future. Tiago Santos is 37. Anthony Smith is only 33, so he's still not um, anything too crazy. Prohoshka and Rochik are obviously both 29. And Reyes is 31. So there is some youth there in that light heavyweight division. But some of the guys at the top are getting older. So I think this is going to be a big opportunity for Paulo to get a fast track to a title by moving up to 205. And if he does that and say, you know, you could really book him anywhere from three to six in those rankings, and it makes a level of sense. That's one of the positives in moving up in weight. You can get in there with someone at the top of the division a little bit sooner, especially in this case because of the parity that moving up a weight class provides. So um, I think Yuri Prohoshka is obviously going to fight for the belt next. That's why I said three to six. Yuri Prohoshka is currently ranked number two. So um, Yuri will fight for the belt next, especially since he's a backup on Saturday. And then you have Rochick at three. You have Anthony Smith at four. You have Tiago Santos at five. And you have Dominic Reyes at six. I think that... A lot of those fights make a lot of sense. I think all of them make a level of sense. And some of these guys aren't massive light heavyweights, you know. Um, Especially Dominic Reyes is not a massive light heavyweight. Anthony Smith is not massive. Tiago Santos is pretty big. Rodchick, you know, not incredibly large for the weight class. So I don't think Paulo Costa would face immediate size challenges by moving up to 205. And I think the competition takes a little bit of a dip in comparison to what we currently have at middleweight. So I think it makes a lot of sense for um, Paulo Costa to move up to take one of those guys in the top six 
for the light heavyweight division. And that was kind of a long roundabout explanation. But basically, Paulo Costa, I think, moving up to 205 makes a lot of sense. And I think that is also what the UFC would like to see him do moving forward. Now, we're going to move on to the news section because that was really the only fight that I wanted to talk about off Vittori and Costa. And then, now we're going to move into the news section. And we don't really have much to talk about here because I did address this earlier. I'm not going to sit here with 15 fight announcements that we have missed in the last two weeks. I'm just going to talk about one kind of big event that is happening in the MMA landscape that um, could affect several uh, high-level guys, big-name guys, rather. So basically, to summarize what has been happening this week, there has been some back and forth between Nate, Connor, and Tony. Now, uh, if you're not on Twitter, this all took place on Twitter, basically... Um, a little bit of backstory, Luke A and Nate were trying to get a fight booked, and there was, for some reason, that fight has not been booked yet. Luke A and Nate both agreed on Twitter. They were trying to get it booked for de- December. Doesn't look like that's going to happen um, in December. But ev- eventually what happened was Nate Diaz tweeted a picture of Tony Ferguson with the belt, basically, you know, kind of like a Nate Diaz-esque call-out where he just, you know, says something broad and then everyone runs with it. And then that had people going about Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. And then from there, Tony said something to Connor about using steroids, and that's why he got bigger. And then Connor and Tony started going back and forth on social media. And then I think Nate Diaz threw a little diss in there on Connor as well. And obviously that that Nate Diaz versus Connor McGregor trilogy is always going to be sitting there and people are always going to be talking about it. So right now we're in an interesting situation of what are we going to do with Nate Diaz? What are we going to do with Tony Ferguson? And what are we going to do with Connor McGregor moving forward? Now, I think The first guy to get a fight booked out of these three is going to be Nate Diaz, and that's just based off um, when when there's smoke, there's usually fire, and we've seen a lot of signs of Nate Diaz getting a fight booked. The Nate, or excuse me, someone asked Dana about this Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson situation at the post-fight press conference last night, and Dana basically said, hey, you know, we're not you know, entertaining that fight between Nate and Tony, really, but rather we are um, trying to book Nate Diaz, just not against Tony. Now, I'm assuming they're still looking at Nate versus Luke, and that fight, it would be a fun fight. A lot of people want it, and I think at this point, it's probably going to happen. The question is when And I think we're going to see that Nate Diaz versus Luque fight. And I think we're going to see it in January. That January card is supposed to take place in Anaheim, California. And anytime you're getting Nate Diaz to fight in California, I think that's a positive. You're getting him a fight with another, I don't want to say up-and-comer, because Luque is an established individual at this point. But he's an up-and-comer in terms of casual fan base 
and casual fans, similar to Leon Edwards. Not many people outside of UFC fans really knew who Leon Edwards was. And I think that Luque is in a similar situation to where Leon was prior to, well, I don't want to say a, sim- a similar situation in terms of marketability and fans. Um, Leon had some other things going on preventing him from fighting, so I don't want to directly compare the two, but they are similar in a way. And that California card also has Brandon Moreno, and Brandon Moreno and Nate Diaz are friends, and they're under the same management company, so I think that would make more sense to add Nate on that card. That card has two great fights at the top of the bill. We've got Surreal Gan versus Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. We've got Brandon Moreno versus Divas and Figueredo, the trilogy. And then the third fight on that card is going to be Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier. Now, that's a good lineup for a pay-per-view, but based off the pay-per-views we're seeing right now, it looks like that's not really the direction that the UFC likes going. I think they would rather have three big fights in comparison to two. Um, This UFC 267 on Saturday is technically not a pay-per-view. It's still a numbered card, but it's not a pay-per-view. And it's got two title fights and another Makhachev versus Hooker, which isn't as big of a fight. But UFC 268, I believe, has three big fights, if I remember correctly. Um, That's got Usman versus Covington. Why isn't this showing me? It's got I've got Usman versus Covington at the top. We've got Rose Namajunas, Li Zhang, and then we've got Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. So I guess not three title fights, but um, Gaethje versus Chandler is about as hyped as you can get for a fight that doesn't have a title involved. So um, Nate Diaz versus. Luke would not surprise me if we throw that in January. So I think that takes Nate Diaz out of this whole Nate, Connor, and Tony kind of trio match making situation. So that pretty much leaves Connor and Tony. I don't know when Tony is looking to fight, but I think Tony would be a great return fight for Connor. And both guys have not performed to their best in their most recent fights. Connor. It would be coming off an injury. Tony would have not fought for a decent period of time as well by the time that this fight would take place. And I think this fight would make sense for both Connor and Tony. Two big names. So I think that fight is actually pretty likely to happen because I doubt the UFC would be willing to throw Connor in there with Poirier. <coughs> Excuse me. I doubt the UFC would be willing to throw Connor in there. For a fourth time against um, Dustin, you know they're not going to throw him into a title shot if if Oliveira is a champ. I don't think they would give him Gaethje right off the bat. That seems a little aggressive, especially if Gaethje gets a win. So I think this situation of Tony versus Conor would make the most sense. And if you look at the rankings, they're probably pretty close in the rankings. Conor's nine, Tony is seven, and you know I don't really think Tony is the seventh best lightweight in the planet anymore um, based off his last performances. So basically, I think Conor versus Tony is the direction we need to go for both of these guys when they are both ready to go in early to, or maybe late first quarter, early second quarter of 2022. 
And that is all I have for news. Like I said, that was the only thing we were going to talk about. Now we are going to push forward to UFC 267. This is a tremendous fight card, and we are getting it for free. So let's take a look and see what we've got going on. Obviously, we talked about this fight a little bit. Now we're going to go more in depth. Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira taking place at the top of the bill, and they will be fighting for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. Now, I really like Glover, but I can't, you know, see a situation. I think this is going to be pretty one-sided for Jan Blahovich. I think that Jan, at this point, is, you know, how do I say this? Jan has looked tremendous as of late. Uh, he hasn't shown any signs of slipping yet. I talked about his age earlier, but I still think he's got some good time, a, a good amount of time left at the top of this 205-pound division. And although Glover has looked good, I just think Jan Blahovich is going to be too powerful. And I think Jan is good enough on the ground to where this fight is going to take place mostly standing. And standing, you know, we've seen... Jan Blachowicz is a very, very difficult guy to beat on the feet. I think Jan is going to be able to land some big shots. I think he's going to find some big shots early. I think he's going to find big shots often. And I think he's going to have a pretty dominant win here. I don't know if I feel comfortable enough predicting a finish, but I could see a 50-45 or a 49-46 type win. I could see a finish, probably something a little bit later you know, fourth round maybe after Blahovich lands some kicks to the body and does a good amount of work busting him up and then eventually finish it off a little bit later. I don't think you're going to be able to chin Glover and knock him out right away, but I think you could wear him down. It's not going to be easy, but I think someone as good as Jan Blahovich could do it. So that is my prediction. Jan Blahovich by, I'll go by decision just to play it safe, but I would not be surprised if he goes out there and gets a knockout. Now, this is probably the fight that I am most excited for um, for the next two weeks, these back-to-back pay-per-views. Piotr Jan versus Corey Sanhagen. Now, if you aren't familiar with my relationship to the bantamweight division, I love the bantamweight division. This division is pure violence. It's beautiful. And we never run short of crazy matches in the top five. And these guys are willing to fight one another. I said that TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen was a bucket list fight that I have to see. I said that Piotr Jan versus Corey Sanhagen was a fight we have to see. TJ Dillashaw versus Piotr Jan is a fight we have to see. Rob Font versus TJ, Aldo versus Sanhagen. There's so many terrific matchups you can make between Jan, Sanhagen, TJ, Font, and Aldo that it'll make your head spin. But we're getting one of them, possibly the best of them all, Corey Sanhagen versus Piotr Jan. And it is an interim belt, but many people look at Jan like the true champion and... I don't know who is going to win this fight because Piotr Jan has some of 
the best striking defense currently, and he is very well-rounded. One thing that really interests me coming into this fight is what are we going to see from Pierre-Yan? Because he could go out there with a pure Muay Thai mentality and win this fight against Corey Sanhagen. That's a complete possibility. However, Pierre-Yan could also go out there and try to incorporate more offensive grappling than he usually does. And that may help him win this fight as well in a similar way that it helped TJ Dillashaw win that fight against Corey Sandhagen. So I'm going to be really interested to see what Piotr Jan comes in to this fight um, thinking. And I don't know. I, I can't really predict what he's going to do. You can predict what Corey Sandhagen is going to do. Corey Sandhagen is going to go in there. He's going to utilize his length. He's going to utilize elbows. He's going to utilize knees. He's going to utilize some unorthodox strikes. And he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be able to hit Piotr Jan, and but for Piotr Jan, when you're that good defensively and you know a very technical striker like Piotr Jan is offensively and defensively, would you want to take something to the ground? Because we've seen that we've seen people have success. Um, on the ground against St. Hagen and in the clinch, holding him up against the fence. So it really just comes a question of what is the game plan going to be. Now, Corey Sanhagen is one of my favorite fighters, but I think that Piotr Jan is going to be able to get this done. And I'm saying that very unconfidently because if I had to put a percentage on how confident I, how confident I am that each guy wins, I'd put it at like a 55-45 type deal. Maybe less than that. Maybe it's closer to 50-50. But Piotr Jan, I think the reason that I'm leaning towards Piotr is because he can go to the grappling if he has to to edge out around. He can, and I think he's going to stay very disciplined in this fight as well. I think that he's going to utilize some straight punches and he's going to be able to find the mark on Corey and I think he's probably going to attack the body pretty well as well. Um, that's something that Piotr Jan does great. So, but would I be surprised if Corey Sanhagen goes out there and gets a win? No. And I would not be surprised. And Corey Sanhagen probably has a better chance at getting a win against Piotr Jan than a lot of other guys do. This might be a tougher matchup for Piotr Jan just because of the pure striking of Corey Sanhagen. Um, but I do lean Piotr Jan slightly, and um, I'll go with Jan by decision. I don't think Jan finishes him, but I do think he wins by decision. Corey Sanhagen, I could also see him winning. Um, that's not my prediction, but I would not be surprised if Corey Sanhagen finds a way to get a finish in this fight or finds a way to edge out three rounds because Corey Sanhagen is a tremendous fighter. Another fighter that I am a massive fan of, Dan Hooker, is taking on Islam Makhlchev, and we all know the background of this fight. Dan Hooker stepped in on one month's notice after fighting Hazrat, which he um, got to the country one day prior to the fight, cut all his weight. So this is Dan Hooker biting off, you know, people say biting off more than you can chew. The thing is, this might be Dan Hooker 
biting off an impossible amount for anyone to chew. There might not be anyone that could do what Dan Hooker is trying to do. So if Dan Hooker can go out there and get this win against Islam Makhlchev, who is someone who many people look at to be a future champion, and someone who provides a very tough stylistic matchup for Dan Hooker. This isn't just a great fighter. This is a great fighter that contrasts Dan Hooker very well. So I'm going to pick Islam Makhlchev in this fight. I hope that Dan Hooker wins, and that's no nothing against Islam Makhlchev. I just really love Dan Hooker, and I like his you know, his attitude towards fighting and his willingness to fight. So I hope Dan Hooker goes out there and has a terrific performance and gets a win. But I just think Islam is going to be able to take him down. And I think that Islam is going, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he can find a submission. But um, I lean towards a three-round decision. For Islam Makhlchev, but make sure you look out for the knees and the elbows of Dan Hooker, because if he can place a knee at the right time, he could find a finish. Moving forward, we've got Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tabura. Now, I'm old enough to remember when people were looking at Alexander Volkov as a title challenger after his fight against Alexander, oh, excuse me, Alistair Overeem. And this fight is one that is really interesting because Marcin Tabora could go out there and get a win. Um, I don't know what the odds are off the top of my head, but I can't imagine that Tabora is the favorite. But I'm going to lean towards Volkov in this fight. I think that he is going to be able to utilize his big frame, his long reach, and his for, for Volkov's length he's very good at striking in the pocket and I think that's going to help him a lot in this fight and I think he's going to be able to utilize his jabs and his teeps very well to win this fight however if Marcin Tabora especially in a three-round fight can find a couple takedowns this fight could be drastically different so look for the takedowns of Tabora if he can land them and land them consistently he'll be able to get a win here over Volkov but I think the striking of Volkov is just going to be a little bit too much for um for Tabura and I'm gonna go with Volkov by decision as well. Another very exciting fight and a very hard fight to predict is gonna be Hazmat Chimaev versus Li Jingliang. And this is as good as good as Hazmat Chimaev has looked in his UFC run. It hasn't been against the best competition. This is going to be a massive jump in competition for Hazmat Chimaev. When you look at guys like Gerald Marshart, and I don't even know who his other fights are against, Aaron Phillips maybe, um, Gerald Marshart, John Phillips, and Rice McKee, you know, with all due respect to those guys, they're just not premier UFC fighters and this is going to be a big step up in competition Li Jingliang is no joke and I'm going to go with Li Jingliang because he has been in there with guys um a high level Hazmat Chumayev might also be the best fighter Li Jingliang has fought so um but I just think there's too many question marks 
for Hazmat Chumayev. I think he's going to be a great fighter. But I think that right now, um, I'm going to lead towards Lee Jingliang, especially if he can find a big shot and get Hazmat hurt early. Um, but I'm going to predict Lee Jingliang, um, let's say via finish. So, predicting the upset in that one. Once again, I don't know what the actual odds are, but I imagine that Hazmat is the favorite. Now we've got a light heavyweight fight between two light heavyweight contenders. Well, ranked guys, not contenders yet. They're looking to get there. This would be um, a great step to becoming a contender. We've got Magomed Ankalev versus Volkan Ozdemir. They're 7th and 8th in the rankings. Now, I am torn on this one, but I'm going to lean towards Magomed Ankalev. Confident? No, this is another toss-up for me. But I just think that from what I've seen, Megaman Ankolev is a very talented guy. And I think he's going to be able to find a shot here on Vulcan Ozdemir and put him away. But um, not entirely confident in that prediction. And then our next first prelim fight we're going to talk about, Amanda Hibas versus Ina Genji Roba. This is... This gets about as classic striker versus grappler as you can get. If this stays on the feet, I think Amanda Hibas is going to win this pretty clearly. I guess I shouldn't use the description striker versus grappler because Amanda Hibas does have several submission wins. But either way... I think she's going to be the far better striker in this fight. And I think if she can keep it on the feet, I think she'll be able to walk to a three-round decision. However, against Gianji Roba, um, that is a lot easier said than done. So, But I do still lean Amanda Hibas by decision. Now we're going to start skipping around, start talking about individual fighters, individual fights. Um one thing to, oh, actually, we're going to talk about this fight next. Leron Murphy versus Maquan Amirkani. Leron Murphy is someone who, his last fight was very, very impressive. I have been waiting for his UFC return. Not that he's been out, but, um, you know, a little bit of a layoff. He's an exciting young prospect in that 145-pound division. Throw him in the chunk with the 15 other young, exciting prospects in the 145-pound division. And that's not a diss on Murphy. That just goes to speak about how many young, talented fighters are in that division. And I think Makwan is a good level of competition for him right now. Makwan is someone who has fought some of the best fighters out there at 145 pounds. He's fought Barbosa. Um... He's fought Arnold Allen. He's fought Shane Burgos. So he didn't beat any of them, but he was in there with them, and he's got some UFC wins. So I think this is a good fight as a litmus test for how good is Lerone Murphy actually. So um, good, good matchmaking here. And I'm going to lean towards... We'll lean towards Lerone Murphy getting it done in this one. I think he's a very talented guy. Now, um, 
Andre Petrosky is back. For those who watch Tough, um, he was one of the more popular contestants on Tough, and he is back. He's fighting this weekend as well, so make sure you keep an eye out for him. And now, we aren't going to talk about every single fighter on here, but make sure you watch every fight on here because we've got some bright names and some guys that could be great fighters. We've got Andre Petrosky is a great prospect. We've got Demir Demir Izamagulov. My apologies because I can guarantee you I didn't say that right. He's 20, but he is a light heavyweight fighter who is 23 and 1 with 1 2 3 4 UFC wins zero UFC losses so he's someone to look out for why he's just, he's only 30 so um who else we got on this card we've got Shamil Gazatov and if you can tell I haven't catch uh, uh I haven't caught up on my western european prospects or eastern european prospects yet um but he's also got one ufc win he is also he is undefeated in the light heavyweight division so there's some good prospects on this card we've got roman capo Kapilov, who is a eight and one middleweight we've got benoit saint denis who is an eight and oh Welterweight from France. Yeah, that's French. Um, and there are some other guys on this card as well that you're going to want to look out for. So there's a lot of fun fights here. And even if you don't know them, I think a lot of these guys could end up being talented guys one day. So this um, might be a card we look back on that had a lot of bright prospects on it. So you're not going to want to miss this one. And with that... That is all I have for this episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Not too long, not too long, not too long of an episode. It was a return episode, so it might have been a little shaky. But um, next week, we're going to be back in stride for sure. And we will be back next week. I took two weeks off, so we're good. I'll be back here um, next week. And we are going to buff up the content on other social media platforms. I've got plans to post more TikToks. I'm going to start tweeting more again, so don't be afraid to go follow me on TikTok or Twitter. Head Kick Kale Podcast on both of those. Those are the other two um, social media platforms that I use. If you want something quick that is outside of a 30-minute to an hour-long podcast, if you want something quick, Twitter and TikTok are the places for you. So, Thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week and goodbye.